This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Stock Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Fundies called me up, told me to take a look. But stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money. Get the money. Get, get the money. Well, Nick McLean, thanks very much for coming on Talk Your Book. I've been trying to get you on the show for a little while and you've, uh, you've finally agreed. Why don't you start with telling us a little bit about Surrey Asset Management and what you guys look to invest in? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Surrey Asset Management was formed in 2016 with myself and my business partner, uh, Mike Woolhouse. Uh, my background has been in funds management um, and stockbroking for around 15, 16, 17 years. Same with, uh, same with Mike. We've been working together on and off over that, over that journey. Uh, my, my, my most recent... Um, Point of work was at Cooper Investors, so I believe you've chatted with in the past. Yeah. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, Mike and myself decided to set this business up in a way that was structured a little bit differently to the way we see other funds structured. And by that, what I mean is we're a small cap focused business in terms of our benchmark is the small ordinaries accumulation index, um, but we have the levity to invest outside that, up to 30% of the fund outside that index as well as going 100% to cash if, if needed. Um, the rationale for that was twofold. One, um, we want to be a high conviction fund, so only invest where we have absolute high conviction, not just to fill or buffer, buffer the portfolio. And two, to, to, to make sure that we keep liquidity in the fund at all times. What can often happen with small cap funds is they get stuck in the, in the lower end of the market, the lobster pot end of the market, and then suffer liquidity issues as we saw a month or two ago with the, with the recent crisis. Um, we're very much a bottom-up process-driven organisation. Um, we follow a very, very strict process. Um, that's fundamental in value, but we overlay, overlay that with a very much a, a quantitative, quantitative view. And what stock do you want to talk about today? Today, I thought we'd talk about zero, which is what was uh, outside the top 100 index, but leaped the small ordinaries and went straight into the top 100 a couple of years ago or so. And so most of the people watching this will be familiar with Zero, particularly if they've got a small business of their own. But for those that aren't familiar with it, what, do, what does Zero do? Zero is a, it's a software as a service based accounting system at its, at its absolute basic and, and core. So that means small to medium enterprises, which is their focus, like um, Surrey Asset Management, will use them for their bookkeeping and, and accounting purposes. Um, that is it at its core. It started in 2006 by Rod Drury, who's now a, a, a director of Zero and owns 10 odd percent of the company, um, but has morphed now into a, a business that's got well over 2 million customers across the globe. Um, and as we can talk about down the track, is evolving its actual offering as well. Now, I first had a look at Xero uh, a number of years ago now, and I had a friend who had a small business and just started talking about it. Uh, just in glowing terms, just didn't save him so much time and so much money. And I think zero is about 30 bucks at the time. And I cleverly decided to myself that it was, it was overvalued. It was too expensive. I think the first thing I looked at was, um, what was a PE ratio or free cash flow the business was generating at the time. But I think when I look at these types of stocks now, the first thing I look at now is, is really the size of their market. And maybe that's a good place for us to start. What, what is their size of their market? And their market penetration in Australia and New Zealand and the blues overseas. Yeah. yeah. So it, it can be a little rubbery around what actual market shares are, but um, because 
it depends on whether you define it by the online or SaaS market share versus total addressable market. In terms of Australia, it's around 25-ish percent of the total market. Its main competitor is MYOB. Uh, New Zealand, it completely dominates that, that area where it started. In the US, it, it's, it's been there for a while, but it's very much a grind against its main competitor, Intuit. So its market share is irrelevant. It's, it's, it's negligible there. And in the UK, it's, it's around 30% um, competing with Intuit and Sage. Um, the way I tend to look at this business in terms of its market size is um, twofold. An immediate addressable market, which is um, what they can go after right now. We see that as ranging from seven, anywhere from seven to $9 billion. That's SMEs that it's actually targeting now. So either they're on a, a SaaS platform or they're not on a SaaS platform and are looking to convert over. Um, that, that's, that's across the markets it's in now. Um, as we see more of a transition, particularly in the US and UK, um, from desktop-based software to cloud-based software, and as we see them expand like they're doing now into Asia um, and into uh, South Africa and other regions, um, and what we'll talk about in a second, as we see them expand their actual product offering around the core, we see that market share going comfortably towards $70 billion, $80 billion. Um, so it's a very sizable market opportunity for these guys. That $70 to $80, $90 billion, that is obviously a long way down the track, um, but it's still a good... Uh, a good goal to, to strive towards. And what is their expanded offering? Zero started as basically a ledger type business, accounting ledger type business. So for Surrey Asset Management, when we first took on the product, it was very much basic bookkeeping, accounting type, type offering. Um, they've subsequently bolted on more parts to the business and a similar concept to the way realestate.com did back 10, 10 20 years ago. Um, so the first is just that, that core systems core systems offering. From there, they've expanded on, um, and you can take a level two product, which is effectively bank feeds, payroll, um, products such as that, which obviously adds on, um, uh, integrates them more into their actual customers, as well as adding um, pricing um, that they charge their customers. Then they've added on what I call app partners. So you might have a PayPal that you use, which is on the actual Xero system or a Zoom or a, or a workflow product um, that's actually on their system. So effectively, what they're trying to do over time um, is become a whole business platform. So not just an accounting platform, but something that you go to to use for your whole business from accounting to HR to payroll to whatever, whatever else you can think of. It is all on, on that one platform. At the moment, they're offering a lot of those extra um, I wouldn't call them bolt-ons, but the extra value-add products at a low rate to get themselves integrated into the clients. Um, and at the moment, that only represents about 9% of total revenue, but growing rapidly. Um, but I see over time that as, for example, Surrey, as Surrey takes on more and more of those value-add offerings, um, it will become extremely difficult for us to ever remove them and switch to another participant. And their compound annual growth rate for subscribers has been 33% over the last couple of years. What do you see that being in the next three or four years as a sustainable percentage that they can grow their subscriber base? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of points there. Firstly, in the short term, we'll obviously have a, have a challenging period over that sort of February, March, um, April, May um, uh, area. 
I think you'll see a slowdown there, but a more subdued slowdown than you would see in many other businesses. And my rationale for that is these guys typically have a 10% churn. That 10% churn um, is almost all the time SMEs going out of business, which is the, the national rate in Australia, that 10% per annum. Outside that, people don't leave. For SMEs to be leaving zero at the moment, it would be because they, they're shutting down, as in completely shutting down. Otherwise, given they're so linked into their accountant, they won't be, won't be leaving in the, in the short term. But in, notwithstanding that, I think there will be a, some impact, as we've seen with Intune and Sage, who downgraded recently. Um, but we'll get through that. I think there'll be a few months and, and, and we'll be through that. And we'll see on Thursday when they release the results how much impact that actually has had. But as I mentioned, I think that's a short-term uh, short glitch. The more pertinent question is what type of growth rate can they sustain over the next you know, five, 10 years? I think Australia and New Zealand, New Zealand in particular, will start to slow, still double digits, but I think it will be more like the 15 to 20% type, type growth rate. And the next revenue levers for them from them is increasing average price. So they don't pull the pricing lever particularly hard at the moment. Um, I think they'll increase price. And then, as I mentioned, they'll increase the product offerings. The wider um, consumer number increase, if you like, will be coming from the UK, um, the rest of the world, which is, as I mentioned, Asia, South Africa. Um, and then also the US, which is a slow grind and it's been a slow grind but we're starting to see some signs of progress there. Um, importantly, uh, that is all being self-funded. So these guys are now free cash flow positive as of the last result, but they're deciding to sink all that money back into reinvestment to continue to grow um, both their, their user numbers and then also their integration into clients. So when I think of some of the great tech businesses that are listed on the ASX, rearealestate.com is one that really stands out. And one of the reasons why they've got such an enormous economic moat is the network effects that REA have, whereby because everybody puts their house on it, that's where everybody goes to look at houses that are for sale. It becomes, you know, creates a positive feedback loop where they are still and have been for a long time the dominant real estate classified net. You look at Facebook, they also enjoy uh, the network effects by the fact that if everybody else is on Facebook, it makes it much more valuable, insulates them from... Uh, a start coming in and taking away their customers. When I look at zero, they don't have that network effect. It's not a huge benefit if I'm a small business, if other small businesses are on zero. Where do you think their economic moat comes from? And do you think it's as strong as a company like REA's? One of the network effect moats, if you like, is the accountants. So they sell through the accountancy channel. So there's that for starters. The second element is like I mentioned to you, um, Surrey Asset Management as a business, we use the product. The product is extremely cheap. Um, the, the base price is $25 a month. Um, it's an extremely good offering. So why would I be incentivized to move to one of the other competing products to save four or five dollars, um, given the risk that that could provide? And that's still not a necessarily an economic moat like an REA, which is very unique, which we can touch on. Um, but the economic moat will come as as they spread the product. So there's not much. Um, made about those ancillary products that they're developing. Like I mentioned, the apps, they, they have over 800 independent apps um, on their site that you can use or on their platform that you can use, which once a business starts, 75% of its business operations are on zero, there's no one else that can, can compete with that. So the way I see it compared to an REA, REA is a little bit unique in terms of 
its, it's immediate customer, um, being the real estate agent, doesn't actually pay the bill. It's the, the vendor who's selling that pays, pays the bill. Um, and they, 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 they spent and spent and spent to win market share. And now there's not really any other alternative unless you go purely with domain, but you know, it, it's one, one, you can use both. Um, with zero, they're doing almost exactly the same. They're spending and spending and spending, cash flow positive, but spending to grow their client base, grow their product development, to integrate into um, the businesses so that they become indispensable. So I'd actually argue that in five years, if these new um, products are taken up, which, which as we're seeing with the growth rates, they are being taken up, they will become, they will have a bigger economic moat than a Facebook has at the moment. To me, Facebook, it's a great business, but as we saw when they had to buy Instagram, or as we saw now with TikTok, which I'm sure you're on, Chris. Doing it. <laughs> Not on extensively, Nick, but Chris Judd Invest and myself are investigating it very much at this stage. <laughs> so there's, all, there's a lot of these competing products. So my kids, I've got three young kids, they don't use Facebook at all. They're on TikTok or whatever else they're on. I don't want to know what they're on. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I'd argue that these guys, if they can continue as they are going now, will have a more powerful economic moat than most other businesses in Australia. So in terms of FY21 earnings, on a PE base, it still looks like we're going to be around that 100 mark or north of 100 times earnings. I understand and... and you know, get the, the reason why they're investing their cash so heavily because they are growing so quickly. But when do you see that multiple starting to come down where investors can start to eye off, eye off some of that free cash flow being returned to investors instead of being reinvested into the business? I look at it in a similar context to the way I look at Amazon. Clearly, they're totally different businesses. Um, for years and years, Amazon were called expensive and how can you possibly buy them and blah, 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 because it's on a high PE and the traditional metrics and all the rest of it. Uh, and, I, and I definitely get that. But what Amazon were effectively doing was taking their enormously cash generative business in terms of their marketplace operations, reinvesting that into um, both developing that platform, but then also building up their cloud-based business, which is now enormous. And now you're starting to see the benefits of that. Um, in terms of answering your question, I would rather see Zero continue to reinvest all its free cash flow um, obviously, there's the law of diminishing returns, but continue to reinvest its existing balance sheet uh, to create value down the track, continue to create value down the track so that in five, 10 years, it will be um, a size multiple of what it is now, as opposed to me taking out the money in dividends, for example. So for them turning a profit, um, taking the money out in dividends and reinvesting it at, I'm assuming, a lower rate than what, what these guys are doing at the moment. So for now, if they turned out and said, okay, we are now cutting our um, capital expenditure or development, I would actually be concerned about that because you would be subduing its longer term growth. In a very similar way, in a very similar way to what we saw happen with MIB when it was under private equity ownership, that the, the focus was very much on free cash flow coming back to, um, to the shareholders at that, at that time. When does that tap turn? Well, a lot of it will, for, for zero, a lot of it will depend on its revenue growth um, because, as I mentioned, the law of diminishing returns, there's only so much they can actually spend. Um, so if, if their client base growth doubles from here, their R&D doesn't need to double from here or you're, you're not getting the value add. So um, as I mentioned, our free cash flow positive now, 
um, I'd expect that over the next three, four, five years to grow and grow. Um, and when it does, it, it is a cash flow machine. So they're using their Australian business to subsidise growth into the US, UK and, and the rest of the world. Um, and over five to 10 years, I think that will, given the returns they're generating, I think that will um, be very, very accretive for shareholders who own stock now. And the lower the 30-year bond yield is, the more attractive a business looks that has or any growth profile, let alone a growth profile as strong as zero. Is that something you keep an eye on when you're assessing stocks like this around how highly growth is going to be valued down the track? Uh, uh, yes, I do. I always uh, keep an eye on that. And, and clearly, equities are extremely attractive now relative to, to bonds. Typically, in what I've picked up in, in past um, work with places like Cooper Investors is it's often best to use a, a cost of capital that is quite similar through all cycles. And I know we've been at a very low point now, um, but we don't base our valuation at all on these record low, um, even negative um, interest rates. We try to look at it through the journey, so through a 10, 20 year um, journey. So. The way I value it is in, in, in two, two ways. One is a discounted cash flow um, of the existing business and its growth, which, as you mentioned, would be affected by low, low yields, but I tried to smooth that out. Um, the second way we look at it is um, the long-term value of each customer um, that they have right now, and then the potential value of new customers. So we do it in two ways. We blend the two and we get a valuation well in excess of, of where it is now. Um, in saying all of that, that's all, all great, but as you know, as bond yields go up, stocks will typically come down, um, but we'd rather be in what we think is actually a very defensive, if this makes, if this makes sense, it's a, it's a defensive business in its core operations and a high growth business in its future optionality. Um, we'd, we'd rather be in that any day of the week than a, than a stock that's on 20 times growing at 10 or 15% that will be impacted by higher interest rates. Well, Nick McLean, I know right now you're, uh, you're currently the principal. You're running a, uh, a funds management business. You're a head chef. So you've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of things on your plate. So I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on Talk Your Book. I've loved it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks very much. If you're interested in building your own investment process, make sure you check out Stock Doctor, the proud partner of Talk Your Book. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.